Good morning, Faith Church. How are we doing today? Oh, I love the response. Thank you. Happy New Year. We're 2022, my friends. It's crazy. What happened to 2021? I don't know. Um, my name is Jacob. It is, I'm very glad that I get to be here. If you don't know me, I am the creative director here. I get to do a lot of like graphics and videos and social media. And my favorite part of my job is I get to facilitate creative discussion, so of like series and stuff. So um, this is just kind of what I get to do here at Faith Church. And I am absolutely thrilled that I get to be here and talk with you today. Um, as Ashley said earlier, we are sort of starting, sort of continuing a series today. We're calling it One Word, um, talking about the word that the, we feel God has given us um, for this year of 2022. Hope launched us with the word with, and um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, that, is, um, that was our Christmas service. Go ahead on, on our website, just take a listen. It's a really great message. Um, but today, I get to talk with you about my word, which is hope. Um, before we get into anything, I would like to, for us to listen to a bit of a Broadway show, just a little snippet. Um, the show is called Hadestown. Now, before you freak out about being called in Hadestown, just know that it is um, based on a Greek tragedy, so um, with the main characters are Eurydice and Orpheus, but, um, but it's a Greek tragedy. It's like an adaptation of a Greek tragedy, so that's why it's called Hadestown. But um, let's take a listen real quick to the very beginning of the show. This is the very first song. So it's very upbeat, it's very fun, it's very uplifting, full of hope. Um, but all I want you to do is just remember how it felt, remember the vibe of that song, and then we're going to come back to it at the end of our message here. So I'd like to start talking about the prophets. Um, we find them in the Old Testament, and they were a group of people uh, throughout Israel history who acted as the voice of God in the midst of the Israelites. Most uh, prophets exhorted the Israelites to repent and turn back to God. Um, but sometimes they did so in kind of strange ways. So, for example, Hosea marries a prostitute and names their daughter Lorahama, which means unloved. Isaiah walks around naked and barefoot for three years. And Ezekiel, no, just kidding. Yes, Ezekiel laid on his left side for 390 days. Um, it's a little strange, but the way I see it, they're kind of like performance artists, but with a divine message. Um, God used them not only to say what needs to be said, but to show them like physically and symbolically what, what, what God wanted to communicate. Um, it sounds a little bit strange in our society right now, but um, it's just the way that God chose to speak to the Israelites at the time. But today I'd like to home in on the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in Israel during the reign of Ahab, King Ahab. And there's a moment in Elijah's story that I would like to, to camp out at, but for us to get to that moment, um, I think it's important for us to know how he got there. So we're going to start um, just learning a little bit about the reign of Ahab and who the king of Ahab, or the, this king was and what he was like. So Ahab, son of Omri, did even more open evil before God than anyone yet. 
a new champion in evil. Oh, by the way, we are reading in the message version today just so that it's easier for us to kind of follow the story. Um, It wasn't enough for him to copy the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. No, he went all out, first by marrying Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and then by serving and worshiping the god Baal. He built a temple for Baal in Samaria and then furnished it with an altar for Baal. Worse, he went on and built a shrine to the sacred whore Asherah. He made the God of Israel angrier than all the previous kings of Israel put together. It was under Ahab's rule that Heel of Bethel refortified Jericho, but at a terrible cost. He ritually sacrificed his firstborn son Abiram at the laying of the foundation and his youngest son Segub at the setting up of the gates. This is exactly what Joshua, son of Nun, said would happen. So clearly, Ahab is not a good dude. <laughs> he completely went against God. He married Jezebel, first off. He set up a temple to Baal and ritually sacrificed two of his sons. Can you imagine the stuff he might have done that like, is not written about? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I want to know all the nitty-gritty details, but I think the author of 1 Kings, he felt this was enough for us to know that Ahab was an evil king. So... This is the role of the prophets. God sent Elijah to Ahab to confront him. He tells Ahab that because he turned away from Yahweh, there's gonna be a drought. And this drought lasts for three years. Throughout that time, Ahab is sending um, search parties out to search for Elijah because he blamed Elijah for the drought, when clearly this is Ahab's fault. Um, Finally, nearing the end of those three years, Elijah hears from God again, and God tells him to go and confront Ahab once again. And this is where we see they met each other, and this is what happened. The moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, so it's you, old troublemaker. It's not I who has caused trouble in Israel, said Elijah, but you and your government. You've dumped God's ways and commands and run off after the local gods, the balls. Here's what I want you to do. Assemble everyone in Israel at Mount Carmel and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, the 450 prophets of the local gods, the Baals, and the 400 prophets of the whore goddess Asherah are there. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. One thing I want to point out real quick is just this line here. I love that Eugene Peterson, the the translator of the message version, he put the special pets of Jezebel. And I think this is really indicative of um, Jezebel's relationship with Ahab and Jezebel's relationship between like the gods of the local gods and how Ahab got all wrapped up. And this is why God told Ahab not to marry her in the first place. But... um, but like the, the prophets of Baal are Jezebel's special pets. And so um, let's just keep that in our brains as we continue. Um, now, if you've heard the story of Elijah, you probably um, have heard this next part. Um, this is the part where Elijah, they all gather at Mount Carmel, and Elijah proposes a sort of contest. So the prophets of Baal and Elijah both, they get a bull to sacrifice, and the goal is to set the sacrifice on fire. Um, not with natural means, but by calling on their God. So that starts in the morning, this contest, if you will. Um, the prophets of Baal are calling out, or Baal, are calling out to their God. They're ripping their clothes and tearing their skin, and they're desperate, and they're calling out to Baal. But surprise, surprise, Baal doesn't answer, because he's not real. Um, (laughs) finally, um, this is evening time now and it's Elijah's turn and he decides to up the ante a little bit. He decides that, you know what, we're going to, we're going to 
douse this altar with water. So they build, they dig a trench around the altar. They douse it with buckets of water three times. So the wood is all waterlogged. The, everything is waterlogged. Nothing is going to light. The trench is full of water. So like there is no way that there is any, there's no possible way that there's any natural means of setting this sacrifice on fire. Um, and so Elijah then calls on God, and this is what happens. Immediately, the fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, that's crazy, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. All the people saw it happen and fell on their faces in awed worship, exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. Elijah told them, grab the Baal prophets. Don't let one get away. They grabbed them. Elijah had them taken down to the brook Kishon, and they massacred the lot. So Elijah proves Yahweh is the one true God. He has all the prophets of Baal killed. And after this happens, rain comes again. The drought is over. Notice in this, in this part of the story that Jezebel is nowhere to be seen. So Ahab, she wasn't there. She wasn't at the mountain. Ahab goes on his chariot and goes back to Jezebel and tells her everything that happened. And she is furious. She is furious that um, Elijah killed her special pets, the prophets of Baal. Um, now, everything in this story is leading up to this moment. And this is the moment that I would like to kind of talk about a little bit. Um, and let's see what happens after Jezebel. She finds out and she threatens um, Elijah. And let's see what happens. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and went on into the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Elijah has done some incredible things for God, but one threat from Jezebel, and he wants to die. Let's, um, later, Elijah is speaking with God, and he tells God this. I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Do you hear the desperation in his voice? He has lost all hope. He's, he's just done. If I'm being honest, Elijah's words sound kind of familiar to me. Um, not in the sense that I know exactly what he's experiencing. There's nobody chasing me, trying to kill me, There's, and I certainly don't want to die. But, um, I mean, I, I have depression. I, I wrestle with that every day. These kinds of thoughts, they're, they're not foreign to me. Hopelessness is not a foreign thing to me. I'm currently in a season of my life personally and spiritually where um, I have a lot of questions. I am not sure how I feel about God in general, to be honest. I, I don't really know where God and I stand in the sense of like our relationship. I don't know that I trust him all the time. I don't even know that I love him all the time. The comfort and stability of my childhood faith is long gone, and I don't really know what to do about that. Now, I recognize that this might make some of you a little uncomfortable, but it doesn't make God uncomfortable. 
Doubts and unbelief are two separate things. And God is big enough and loving enough and gracious enough for my doubts. This is why my word is hope, because I, I need it. <laughs> Let's look at Elijah's, the end of Elijah's statement right here. He says, I'm the only one left. We tend to believe that hope is gone when we start to believe that we're the only one left. We become isolated, and thoughts like these tend to overwhelm our hearts, and they overwhelm our minds, and they overwhelm our spirits until we start to believe that they're true. And this brings us to our so what. Why have I dragged you through all of the sadness? <laughs> Let's look at God's words to Elijah and see how he responds. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. God doesn't give him a pep talk. He doesn't want him to get over it and move on. He doesn't tell him to get back to work. He doesn't tell him that he should do this or that. He doesn't say, let's focus on joy, Elijah. You can do that, right? He responds with love. He responds by saying, hey, you look hungry. How about something to eat? God cares for Elijah emotionally and physically. He is exhausted in every sense of the word, and God fills him with a meal and lets him sleep. Now, it's not just like tacky bread. This, this is a fresh, baked on some coals loaf of bread, like I'm a bit of a baker myself, and there is nothing like the smell of fresh bread. Can you imagine him sleeping, and then all of a sudden, he like, gets a whiff of some fresh bread, and he wakes up? Like, How cared for do you think he felt in that moment? How loved do you think he felt in that moment? Because he was done. He wanted to die, but God says, here's some food. Get some rest. That's so beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. It's really encouraging for me, honestly, in this season. This meal sustains Elijah for a 40-day 40 40 and 40-night trek to the mountain of God where they speak again. And um, Elijah gives him some instructions. He tells him where to go, some people to see, kind of a plan of action. And then God says this. Meanwhile, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the God Baal, the mouths that haven't kissed his image. The enemy will say you are alone, but God says you are not. Elijah didn't know that God was preserving for himself 7,000 souls. He didn't know that God was working already. He didn't know, he couldn't see it, because he said, I am the only one left. They have killed everyone else. I am the last one. But God says, no, you're wrong. I've preserved for myself 7,000 souls that you know nothing about. You are not alone. When you feel all hope is lost, the body of Christ is there to believe for you. This makes me think of something called kintsugi. I learned about kintsugi from a Japanese artist named Mako Fujimura who wrote a book called Art and Faith. And um, kintsugi 
is the Japanese, an ancient Japanese art form where pottery, broken pottery, is put back together, is restored with lacquer and gold. And here's a picture, just so that we can get an image. This teacup was originally broken, obviously, but it was put back together and then embossed with gold. The broken vessel, it's not thrown out. Rather, it is redeemed and made into something more than the original. It's not put together with just glue, which would restore its function just fine. It's restored with gold, a precious metal. Kintsugi actually increases the value of a piece. And this, to me, is a picture of the gospel. This is the good news. Mako, in his book, said this. Christ came not to fix us, not just to restore, but to make us a new creation. Where is hope, you ask? It's right here. Hope is Jesus. Hope is the gospel. Remember that song from the beginning? It was full, it was lively, it was fun, it was full of hope. Now, we're gonna listen to the very end of the show where the song is reprised. It's the same song, but they sing it again. Let's take a quick listen. It's a sad song. It's a sad tale. It's a tragedy. It's a sad song. But we sing it anyway. Because here's the thing. To know how it ends and still begin to sing it again. As if it might turn out this time. I learned that from a friend of mine. Sometimes life See, is a sad song. But we have to choose to sing again and again and again and again and again. And you know, it's, it's not about grinning and bearing it. It's not about just pulling up our bootstraps and making it happen. Sometimes we need a good meal and some sleep. Sometimes we need other people to help us to stand. And I think it's all well and good to talk about this, like conceptually, just as a concept. But what does it actually look like? What does it look like to have people believe with us and for us? What does it look like to have a body of, the body of Christ come up beside us and support us? I think that that requires vulnerability, first and foremost, which is really scary. I think it requires some, some um, self-awareness, which is really hard sometimes. And I think it requires safety, Maybe. which I desperately hope that you feel here, or at least somewhere. 
And to lean on our brothers and sisters innately requires you, them, to know that you're struggling in the first place. If we can't be vulnerable with the body of Christ, then there's no way that they can support us. I, in this season, have leaned heavily on my support system. I've gotten to speak with Pastor Nate and Pastor Kurt and Pastor Courtney and my family and my friends and just tell them like, hey, I need your hope because I don't have any. And over and over and over again, I have been surprised by God's grace. These people and this community have shown God's grace to me in so many ways. And I have been surprised again and again and again because that's who God is. So I beg you, allow yourself to be surprised by grace too. Allow yourself to be vulnerable with somebody. The easy answer here is a life group. There are people who are searching for other people just like you maybe, who need you and you need them. It's just the easy one. It might, um, maybe that's a little too big and scary for you right now, I don't know. At least find somebody, somebody who you can be honest and vulnerable with and allow them to show you the love of God. Allow them to bolster you. Allow them to believe for you. Second, I think that hope, God's hope, is a message that's all around us. We just have to have the wherewithal and a little bit of hope inside of us to find it. Lately, I've been finding hope in Harry Potter Kintsugi, conversations with my friends, the change of the seasons, the books that I read, the photos that I make, the art that is on my wall. Hope is all around us because Jesus is right here in our midst. Right here at the very depths of ourselves, at the very fabric of reality, this is where Jesus is. Therefore, there is hope. The enemy would have you believe that you're the only one left and there is no hope. But friends, I say it again, hope is Jesus. Hope is the gospel. Is there pain? Is there sorrow? Is there tragedy? Yes, absolutely. But God, God is the great redeemer. God is here to make us into new creations and we, and we choose Jesus. We choose hope. And when it's impossible for us to make that choice for ourselves, we lean on our brothers and sisters through vulnerability. We allow them to hope for us. We allow them to believe for us. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you love us that when we were broken, you didn't come just to fix us, you came to make us new creations. I pray that we would find hope this week, that we would find hope in our conversations, in the media we consume, in the art that we get to see, in the social media posts that we scroll past,
I pray that those that don't feel hope in this moment and in this season would have the courage to be vulnerable, would have the courage to be surprised by grace. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. May you be honored and glorified this week and this year. Thank you for a new year. Thank you for 2022. We love you, God, and in your name.